Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to Just Break Up, the podcast about love, heartbreak, and all the relationship advice you don't want to hear. My name is Sierra DeMolder. And I'm Sam Blackwell. And this week, we're going to tackle topics like moving in with your friends with benefits X, <laughs> embracing bisexuality, and feeling thrown away and replaceable. Mm-mm-mm. Mm. But before we begin, we just want to give you our Surgeon General's warning, which is that we are not licensed or accredited or anything important that would make us someone that you should be listening to at this Absolutely point. Absolutely not. We are not <laughs> therapists. We are not professional relationship help counselors. <laughs> yeah. You know, those professional relationship help counselors yes. that you go to. <laughs> Um, we are um, not professionals, so please take our advice as you see fit. We are just here to offer our humble musings, so please shed some understanding and maybe some laughs on the incredibly rewarding but mostly confusing experience that is love. Sam, welcome to the first episode of Just Break Up of 2021. Here I think we are. We're like in 2021. F- all of our problems have been solved. <laughs> yeah, the coronavirus walked, is gone. <laughs> yeah, we walked through that door and then like, bam, skin cleared, credit perfect. Oh my um, God. Can you believe? It's so new exciting. Year, new me, except for absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, new year, same me. <laughs> my sister shared a like a, a meme today that was of the twins of The Shining from The Shining. And, mm-hmm. and it said 2020 and 2021. <laughs> uh anyway um before we get in the check-in i have to confess sam already knows this but i'm like super tired today because i stayed up abnormally late watching um the gilmore girls i sleep i stayed up till past midnight not on new year's eve nay a couple days later (laughs) um because willow's out of town so i was like yeah netflix in bed woo um stayed up late Watch the Gilmore Girls, a show that Patreon folks know that I've been hate watching, like that I (laughs) that I've been watching it, but I'm really angry at it. Like, I don't know why I'm watching it, but I stayed up so late to to watch it, to watch like a romantic conflict get resolved. And it made me think Mm. about like how we we really romanticize the resolution over the actual health and sustainability of the relationship. I know mm-hmm. that I'm getting really heady in this, <laughs> in the intro of this fucking 2021 first episode, but yep. I was like, and you've also like alienated half of our listeners who like, live and Listen, breathe by the Gilmore girls. <laughs> I'm in like the fifth fucking season. I'm watching it all. Like for some reason I'm uh-huh. still watching it. So I like it enough to keep watching it. It's just, there's so many dis- there's so much dysfunction in the show. It makes me wonder like why we love to watch dysfunction and how yep. it plays out in our life. Anyway, I just am calling myself out because I'm fucking hella tired, even though I know I don't sound like it. I'm just like throwing all of my energy <laughs> into this podcast. <laughs> um and uh I-, I also was like, dang, like why did I stay up so late to watch a resolution of a relationship that I don't think should work anyway? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's, that's just my general, like, basically, 
new year, new me, nothing has literally changed. <laughs> I'm still, Great. I love I'm, that. I'm still, uh, you know, the same old me. Okay. So I feel like I've said like 3000 words in the first three seconds of this show. It's, it's uh-huh. really honestly because I woke up really early with no sleep and I was like, I need to stow away all of my energy for this show. <laughs> and now that we're talking, it's all coming out. Okay. Anyway. That's, hi. that's fun. I was like, I woke up this morning and was so sleepy, even though I got like eight and a half hours of sleep. So, oh my God, you're 30. And then was like sitting here waiting for you to send the Zoom thing. And I was like, I need to do something to like, <laughs> to like raise my energy because I am, I'm just like ready checks? to let this day be like so chill. And then I was like, no, I gotta, I gotta bring it. I gotta I know. turn this on. But it's that's like, like the joy of like working from home and like recording this podcast from home <laughs> is that it's like, my home for the past like two weeks has just been like super chill. Like we're yeah. gonna we're gonna take each moment and do what feels good in that moment. And then oh, I was like, yes. oh no, I actually have work to fucking do. So like <laughs> Finally, wake the fuck like, up, dude. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of, thanks everybody for our break. Um, we'll not think like we talked about this on the Patreon episode. Like you guys didn't give us permission to do it, so we don't need to <laughs> right. thank you. But we do feel grateful for the opportunity to take the break. We are obviously not <laughs> rejuvenated. <laughs> We're both like, I'm tired. I took two weeks off and I like didn't sleep enough. Um, anyway, uh, okay, so quick check and topic, topic because we have like three long, juicy letters to get into. But I've seen, you know me and you, <laughs> you know, you know both of us. Uh-huh, I do. <laughs> we we both really love resolutions, or like we love the opportunity to reflect and like maybe set new goals or to or to like refocus, you know, or recommit. And, um, but I've been seeing a lot of, um, really healthy critique of, um, new year's resolutions and, and that whole idea of new year, new me, the idea that you have to like change everything about yourself to mm-hmm. be a better, more like whole, more deserving person, which is like the fallacy on which capitalism is is built (laughs) that Mm -hmm. like it 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 preys off of our insecurities you know you always have to be better you always have to do something to be better and more deserving or whatever and i agree with that all actually i think that's all really great feedback and in fact i don't really have a resolution this year because i'm mostly just proud of myself for like making it through (laughs) and cultivating (laughs) a life that i enjoy and so Mm -hmm. like my maybe my resolution is like uh keep it up kid you know mm-hmm. <laughs> like way to go um but i wanted to chat with you just to like set the tone of 2021 for us of how do we strike the balance between the you know the idea that time is precious and that we want to be you know, accountable and do our head and heart work. And we, we want to do, we want to better ourselves. Like that is a part of life and strike the balance between that and the pressure of being quote unquote better and the, and the really toxic ideologies that come along with that. I also have been thinking a lot about the differences between doing the head and heart work, like the difference between self-examination and, and really like a continued relationship of self-harassment with yourself like i constantly Mm. need to be better i constantly Mm -hmm. need like oh my god here's my trauma coming up again here's my triggers like why aren't i over this you know there is like there's a there's this hidden underbelly to the 
self-examination world or head and heart work that mm-hmm. like tells us that we can constantly do better, which aligns with capitalism and mm-hmm. and all of these things that we're trying to dis like disassociate ourselves from. So after <laughs> in this in this essay, I will try to <laughs> dot dot dot. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, in this essay, I will try to undermine capitalism while also <laughs> being accountable yeah. to th- how I move through the world. Um, no, I think it's I think everything that you said is true, and I think that you know um, resolutions and commitments to to trying to be a better person and the realities of capitalism and the exploitation of like people's honest, authentic wish to be better like the way that people exploit that and push that on us and say buy this thing and it'll make you better or subscribe to this service and it'll make you better or listen to this podcast and it'll make you better Mm -hmm. um is real and also like both those things can be true at the same time so so again it's like one of those processes of like take what works for you and leave behind what doesn't like i i appreciate that people you know, want to move into a new moment in their lives and say, I'm going to commit to trying different things. Like, I think that that's super great and super healthy and people, right. Should, should embrace that. Like my new year's resolution is to rest more. Like I don't Mm. rest enough. Right. Like, and that's not because like my Instagram influencers are telling me to rest (laughs) is because I'm tired all the time. (gasps) And I, I'm like high strung and I, and this, these past few weeks have really taught me like, unplugging like taking my watch off like putting my phone in a different room sitting and reading and resting has been so good for me and has like shown me how tired i am so like that's what i'm gonna do in 2021 doesn't have to be i don't need a smart goal around it i don't need to like track it i'm just gonna like commit to doing that when i can i love it for you i think that that Yes, I don't want people to make I don't want people to be new thems in 2021. I want people to be more authentically themselves in 2021, mm-hmm. right? Like I don't and so yes, I get that. And I but I also think that there's like an underbelly to criticizing people who want to be better about themselves, yes, right? I like know. I, I think, think I, go ahead. It's like yes, these are all legitimate criticisms that we should make, but any sort of like absolute about like don't get it twisted. Twenty New Year's resolutions are toxic and awful. It's like, well, <laughs> um, I don't know that that's true, friends. Yes. Like, I think I think that there's if you as an autonomous human being are making decisions that feel right for you and continue to feel right for you and seem to serve you and don't make you feel bad worse about yourself. Like, go with it. If, yes. if New Year's resolutions are making goals about how many books you're going to read or Whatever it is is going to make you feel something proud of yourself or or good about yourself. Like, go for it. Yes, I totally agree. And this honestly, this is slightly off topic, but it's this is just reinforcing to me that so much of the Internet and the, so much of the clickbait headline sort of grab you hot take culture that's on the internet right now um, is really hurtful because it paints a world that is black and white or it paints Mm -hmm. a world that is not so um, nebulous and all containing, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And I, and I just, I see that so much online. I see that so much um, uh, in, in these influencer or, and, or like media takes on New Year's resolutions, for example. Like I just, 
I don't think that the internet is necessarily like a bad place. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And I don't think that those, that those opinion pieces or whatever it is um, are intending to be hurtful. I just, I I would take this as a huge reminder for the whole year, right? It's a yes and year. It is a year that is going to contain so many contradictions and Mm -hmm. so many things that literally do not make sense because we're all moving around in different um, in different realities and in different modes of our lives. And, and they're not always going to align. I see so much suffering in my own life, in my own history, um, and in, in the, in the lives of my loved ones of an increased suffering from not accepting things as being multifaceted or complicated or mm-hmm. in, in incompatible or whatever. So, yeah, that's real. <laughs> And that's our dissertation on New Year's resolutions. Okay, goodbye, everybody. Uh, Yeah, so I don't know how we went from like Gilmore Girls to New Year's resolutions (laughs) to internet headlines. Honestly, Um, it's all connected. Yeah, but uh, I guess just to echo what Sam said, like do what makes you feel good this year. um, And um Keep in mind, you can always set goals and set resolutions and you can always, you know, I think self-betterment or maybe let's put it, you know, self-reflection is always a good thing. But make sure you're not you have to be equally compassionate for yourself as you are, you know, accountable or critical, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. Um, we're we're literally never going to be always perfect. Um, So, yeah, move into 2021 with a lot of compassion for yourself. And rest, right. like Sam said. Yeah, it's time to rest, y'all. <laughs> naps. I'm I'm into naps mm-hmm. and not having technology around me right now. <laughs> I love that for you. All right. You want to get into the first letter of 2021? Let's do it. How many times can I say 2021 on this episode? You're just so excited. <laughs> All right. The first letter is from Little Chicken, who is writing to us from fucking Seattle. Dear Sam and Sierra, I've been working up the gumption to write y'all for the past two years. I'm a Virgo, and I generally don't receive advice with any grace or gratitude, lol. (laughs) But I love you both, and I'm a big fan of your perspectives. I'm finally prepared to be wrong about something, and I'd love love it if you set me straight or affirm my compulsions. I'm 28, non-binary, they, he, mentally ill, therapized, and medicated, and I'm living with my dog in Seattle for my second year of bullshit grad school. I'm lonely out here. Rent is wild expensive and the remaining of my remainder of my program is going to be online. I'm burnt the fuck out and I don't think it's possible to fill my own cup anymore. I feel the South calling me home. My ex, I'll call him Gus Gus, lives in my hometown. We dated for five years and have been exes for about three and we still talk every day. Dear God, please consider me an acceptable exception for the don't text your ex rule. (laughs) Considered. Approved. (laughs) Um, I love him and he loves me, uh, but the factors that ended our partnership are still reason enough to keep us untethered romantically. We were also polyamorous for years, so our current, quote, non-traditional relationship, i.e. terms of endearment, daily contact, occasional sex when we're physical together, and still dating and sleeping with other people, doesn't feel weird. I don't feel constricted by a relationship, even though I think one day I'll want to detach enough to date someone else, like really hard. Like I want to date the shit out of somebody else someday, maybe monogamously. (laughs) 
Gus Gus still talks about a future with me, and sometimes I talk about a future with him, but we agree it can be nice to think about without assuming or summoning it to reality. So now Gus Gus's living situation is changing and he asked if I want to come and live with him as soon as January or February. And like I want to, this would mean being in town with my parents and my best friends and Gus Gus helping me take care of our dog while I finished grad school. I also recently realized that I want to start taking a low dose testosterone ASAP. Tea is going to really change my body in so many ways, and I know I can't go through it alone in the gray doom of Seattle. It will also likely raise my sex drive, like maybe a lot, and it could change the way my body experiences pleasure and the ways I want to have sex. My sex drive has been low for years, and it would be great if I wasn't newly horny and curious and desperately alone in a pandemic. Gus Gus is really happy for me and my tea journey, and we've said that it could be nice to do some sexual exploration together if, if we're both feeling it. When Gus Gus and I talk about living together, we say it's temporary, definitely not an attempt to get back together and that we'll figure out a way to do it that is emotion that emotionally suits us both. And it's a fucking pandemic. Neither of us will be able to really see other people because COVID has that covered. But our relationship is obviously not clean cut. I think Gus Gus hopes for a future with me in a way that I don't, even though he knows we currently have no good reason to get back together. He loves me to death, but he's not fragile and he's got solid friends so even if living together went really well and he thought we would repartner i firmly believe he could handle me saying no basically i think i really want to make this move and i don't see it as backpedaling i know it'll be a big adjustment to live with another human again and parts of it will be stressful but i think overall this could be really good for my tea journey and getting me through the hell that is grad school am i wrong am i missing something here please wave all the red flags at me if you can find them thank you both i love and you and i trust you oh i love that so much thank you so much little chicken and thanks for writing and listening yeah and, tr- and trusting us that's that really touched me honestly <laughs> <laughs> um okay sam i have fucking no idea what you're gonna say here because i feel very conflicted so i need you to start <laughs> <laughs> um i will say that i also feel very conflicted about it um Little chicken feels like you have really thought this through, right? And it seems yes. like you and Gus Gus um, both seem to have some clear eyes about yes. what your relationship is and what your relationship isn't, um, which is which is great. I am a little bit concerned that like the communication about sort of what the future of this relationship seems to be something that you are dreaming about, but not yes. actually talking about, um, which will I. Th- think make this move very complicated unless you agree to really hash hash that perspective out yeah just because like i don't think that every relationship needs to have like a an end point or like a like a clear future in mind right but i think that relationships in which we are very much entangled right like when our stuff is commingled mm-hmm. and when we're co-parenting a dog and we have to make rent payments together and pay those utilities together that it's important to have really clear boundaries around like what this relationship is, what it's going to be, what we're yes. working towards and what we're not working towards. Yeah. There's no like organic, there can't be any like organic growth here, which, which seems counterintuitive, but you, you're risking a lot essentially. That's right. And it's, it's, 
it is, I would say that having really authentic conversation about that, about this stuff might close doors that you are uncomfortable closing or that like Mm. are sad to close, but it will ensure the longevity of this relationship as it exists now and as how you want it to exist now. Yeah. Right. Like, I don't want you to say, I don't want you to have to be like, I don't ever want to be with you ever again. But I do want you to say like, we're not going to be together for the time that we're living together in this relationship. Or mm. um, we're going to be really clear about not about being roommates in this situation and not people who are dating in this situation. Right. right? Like, like we share this space, but we don't share. I don't know. Yeah, it's the intimacy it's, of like a relationship. Really, well, and I also think like there the like the summary of the letter is a little misleading, right? Should I move in with my friends with benefits X? Like, and the first thing that pops out with me is like, oh my god, they they are still friends with benefits, right? Like, there's still um, physical intimacy happening here. But the more I sat with this letter, I I realized that the the sex was just like a what's a what's a it's like the herring, the distracting thing. Red herring. Thank you. A re- not a yep. red flag pointing out a red herring is <laughs> like trying to distract me. I don't think, I don't believe the physical intimacy here is the issue. It's actually what you said, like the intimacy of cohabitating, of merging your life in that way of sharing that dog and, and um, how much more complicated it makes things, even in the most, like non-traditional communicative relationships. It just mm-hmm. adds an added level of complicated complication when your life is merged this way. Absolutely. Um, and I, I'm going to say that I think that I'm going to be very, a little chicken, my darling. I'm going to say um, very bluntly that I don't think you should move in, but I'm going to, but I also say that with, with extreme flexibility, like I see a way in which this could work and I see a way in which this friendship could transition into a really healthy friends with benefits roommate situation or a relationship or not a relationship or whatever. But I just see so many, there's a lot at risk here. And my biggest takeaway is I wonder how Gus Gus would write this letter. Um, Mm not just the fact that we all tell ourselves different narratives about experiences. We live different narratives. Right. And the biggest red flag in this whole letter to me, my darling, is that you said repeated more than once that Gus Gus talks about a future with you and, and loves you deeply and and wants to get back together. Right. Like that, that was Mm -hmm. a, that was something that your subconscious wanted to tell us more than once. Right. And to me, that is the, that, that's the thing that we're risking right now, even though Gus Gus is a fully formed adult human (laughs) who is capable of making authentic, um, uh, choices autonomously. Right. And choices that they, that they are ultimately responsible for. Like if they say they're comfortable with you moving in and they're comfortable with you guys never getting back together and then their feelings get hurt or something, Mm -hmm. Yep, you know, like we're all adults here essentially. But, um, I feel really conflicted because I, this is, this is why my advice is don't do it, but like you could do it. (laughs) (laughs) That's truly how I feel is like my first initial thing is like, 
I think this is one of those situations in which all of the benefits that you're seeing are seeming really shiny and um, exciting to you because you're in a depressed like state, literally like a physical state too, <laughs> like um, Seattle. <laughs> you, you are in a state, you know, you know, you are really burnt out on grad school. You're, you're feeling the call of being around people who, who nurture you to fill you up. Um, so all of those quote unquote pros are being illuminated. They're, they're being, they're, they're shining a hell of a lot brighter than, than all of the cons of moving in. Um, and I think there are so many life situations in which, even when there are benefits, even when there are obvious benefits of one choice, sometimes we have to make the harder, more uncomfortable decision for the long term. Mm. And again, I'm actually really open to this situation going either way. Like, I don't think you should move in, but like, I know that there's a world in which this could work. So like, maybe I'm fucking wrong. <laughs> like, no, no, better, better yet. Most likely I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you're wrong. And I'll, I'll say from my experience, little chicken, having been someone who lived with an ex who was friends with benefits, um, there were definitely perks to it, um, which was like <laughs> live in sex. Like that was pretty great. Um, yeah. I mean, that's and, it. those are like some shiny ass perks, yeah, you right? know? And it made things really hard for a long time like yes. for longer than they made things really uncomfortable for longer than they should have and that was because our lives were intertwined right like right, it was right our relationship was preventing me from pursuing other things that i wanted to spend more time on like mm -hmm. other relationships with people right um and it felt like i couldn't get myself out of the situation because like who was going to get the frying pan right, right. like who like, where was I going to find a place to live? Like, who was going to get the couch? Like, all of these sort of, like, the the co the cohabitating drama of it um, was really challenging. Yeah. And that's not to say that, it, like, the juice wasn't worth the squeeze. It wasn't worth <laughs> it for me. Let me tell you. Wow. Wish, wish that I had not done that. <laughs> Have never heard that that phrase ever gonna say it for the rest of my life and only in context that refer reference sex <laughs> you should um, the juice was not worth the squeeze yes Ka episode title just kidding <laughs> um i don't even remember what i was saying i'm so sorry that would that just like totally derailed me yes so what i'll say to you is friend that you can still move home and still have this person in your life and still have sex with them a lot and not live with them. Yeah, <laughs> right? like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. think that this is like an either or situation. I think that you can move home and live with someone else or mm -hmm. live on your own or whatever you need to do in order to to make ends meet, right? Which I know is really challenging, especially as a grad student. But um but you can still have all of those things without having to live with this person. And so mm -hmm. I'm with Sierra on this one. Like I could be convinced that this is a good idea. Um, but like I said, right, like the lack of clarity around sort of what your goals are for this relationship is fine and also is going to make things really complicated if you live together. Yeah. If you sort of take that next step of cohabitation, which is like different than not having 
set goals for a relationship where you two are just sort of like having sex and live separately and, and, you know, he's there and supportive for you in different ways, right? Like, it's just that the cohabitation piece, the co-mingling of space and lives is just, and money also, Mm -hmm. money is just makes things much, that much more complicated. Yeah. The initial benefits may create what you're saying, like a greater, more complicated uh, entanglement <laughs> mm-hmm. in the long run, really. Um, it makes things the, uh, um, so y'all know that like, I love the Enneagram and somebody mm-hmm. in my love life is not my love life. Somebody <laughs> in like, my, <laughs> so one of my loved ones is an Enneagram <laughs> is an Enneagram seven and the Enneagram mm-hmm. seven is they, they're the most joy filled. They make everything the most fun. Um, and they often make the decision um, that isn't the best in the long run. It's the it's the most it is the past of most most enjoyment, right? You know mm-hmm. the it's it's not even the least resistance, but they often go to the path that seems most convenient in that moment instead of the longer, harder path, which would yield a greater, um, like a greater level of happiness and sustainability in the long run. And, and like, for me, that path, I don't know what Enneagram you are, but for me, the, the, the longer, like little bit more resistance path is what Sam just said, which I think is a great idea. Moving back home, but not moving in with your ex, getting a different apartment where the rent is cheaper than in Seattle, but Mm -hmm. not putting yourself in this position for the initial, um, in, in the the initial perks, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so maybe think of it that way. Like, what is a way in which I can take a step towards these things that I know will give me joy, that I know will give me pleasure, that I know will help my ent- mental health? Like, I'm saying get the fuck out of Seattle. Like, you you feel tapped out there. You feel exhausted. Like, get out of there. Like, I, I, I know what that's like. And that's really unhealthy and hard to go through something new and challenging when you feel really isolated and alone get out of Seattle, but maybe Mm -hmm. don't take the path that is the shiniest, the one that's being presented to you right now. Maybe take, um, maybe sit with it a little bit longer and, and take a path that, um, is a little bit harder, but will yield a little bit more sustainability and, and stability in your life, I guess. Absolutely. Not that this can go, I mean, this could go totally right. Sam and I are, we don't know what we're talking about. We don't, we don't know what we're talking about. (laughs) Yes. But I'll just say it's different to like text someone every day and like have sex with them when you're around each other Mm, and like send each other's memes than it is to cohabitate with a person. Great point. And so I know that things are going swimmingly right now, but this is like, I just want you to acknowledge and like parse through the added level of complication that's going to come from Mm, living mm -hmm, with this person. mm -hmm. And yes. make that decision for yourself, because whatever decision you are going to make is going to be the right decision for you in that moment, um, as all decisions are. But just I just think about it sort of in a in a more holistic way of like, what are the added layers that are going to come right. with this move in with someone who you have spent sort of sporadic time with over the course of the last few years, but would now have to see every single day in their nasty bathrobe with their teeth unbrushed, right? Like there's just a level, there's a different level of intimacy that comes with this that is great and also makes you really want to kill someone. (laughs) (laughs) 
reach across the table and slap them is <laughs> exactly. a reference to something you said a couple episodes ago. Anyway, um, and you also know that, like, this is a person that you dated for for five years. Like, you know all of these parts of them, but, like, you guys also separated for a reason. And maybe that distance is good. Maybe maybe the space between you right now is what is what a it is what is allowing this friends with benefits healthy relationship to thrive. I don't know. Mm-hmm. We could be totally wrong, um, but this is just our instinct. Um, and like you said, you are either going to take or not take this advice, <laughs> <laughs> That's which right. is exactly As what a Virgo, we want. You will be, yeah, you will be insulted <laughs> that we deign to give you advice and then not take it, which I love. <laughs> I know. I love that too. Um, okay. Little chicken. Good luck. Let us know how this goes. Um, like Sam said, there's no, there's no wrong decision here. Um, we just gave you, our feelings, but uh, we hope that 2021 it yields an awesome living situation for you, regardless of where it ends up being. Yes, absolutely. Thanks for writing. We love you. Spring has sprung and summer is just around the corner. Packing your bag with sunscreen, your emotional support water bottle, and that steamy beach read. But wait, this year there's a new kind of essential that's right at your fingertips. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And get this, there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, Regency era, historical fiction, my absolute favorite, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you will always find something new to explore. Dipsy offers a modern approach to romance through high quality and captivating audio fiction. For listeners of this show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash justbreakup. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipsystories.com slash justbreakup. dipsystories.com slash justbreakup. All right, our next letter comes from Hiding in Narnia, who is writing from the closet slash wardrobe. Oh my God, I got that. (laughs) Yeah, now, right? Like, (laughs) there's layers to that one that people will find out later. Hi, Sam and Sierra. I love you both so much, and I'm so grateful to have found this podcast. I feel like it has changed the way I think about all my relationships for the better. I also recommend JBU to everyone, including my ex, during a tumultuous conversation about whether we needed to have stronger boundaries for both of us to move on. Answer. Of course we did. And I hope that he started listening to the podcast. Hi, (laughs) ex-boyfriend. I wanted to write to you because I feel like I'm just struggling with a lot of shit inside my brain, aren't we all? Mm. I'm a 24-year-old bisexual cis woman, but I've only ever dated men and am not exactly out to everyone in my life. You might imagine I came from a very conservative background or an intolerant family or something, but no. I have open-minded liberal parents who told me frequently growing up that they would love me no matter what, countless queer friends, and went to school in an extremely liberal community. Yes, I count myself extremely lucky. Part of the reason I haven't been open about my sexuality or really explored it so far is that in high school, I assumed college would be the time for that. And then in college, I quickly got into a relationship with an amazing man, which lasted all four years. Mm. It was the good, true love that just wasn't quite right, much like that old relationships year describes sometimes. Mm. And I've spent the last couple of years not dating much as I've struggled to move on. 
Over the past year or so, I've been thinking a lot about wanting to date women, but have been scared to try. Dating again after my breakup already felt so scary to me, and this new frontier felt insurmountable. I've heard other letters from people who wonder if it's too late for them to begin to explore their sexualities. And you always say, no, it's never too late. Go for it, etc. So I'm working up the courage to figure out how to do that and safely in the midst of the pandemic. Lol. But here's the thing that really has been bothering me. I feel a huge amount of shame for not being open and honest about my sexuality. I feel there like there are people who have had it way harder than me, who can be brave and authentic about who they are. So that's what's the matter with me. I'm embarrassed that this is something I've known for so long, but haven't been able to be completely open about. There are almost no external barriers for me. I know that I'm the only one standing in my own way, but for some reason, I just haven't been able to share this part of me. I feel ashamed, like I have all of this internalized homophobia in me, even though I really wasn't raised in a situation where I was taught that, Mm -hmm. aside from the general cultural heteronormativity that we're all taught in America. My best friend came out as bisexual in high school, and she's one of the people I still haven't told because I'm so embarrassed that I just nodded along all this time and talked about the men I was dating. I'm worried my queer friends will somehow be offended that it took me so long to be authentic about this when they've been doing it for years, as if me staying in the closet is evidence of me actually being a homophobe and judging them. That same childhood friend recently made a comment to me about how everyone is bisexual now with an eye roll. And I do sort of understand her frustration about how it's almost trendy to experiment with your sexuality. Well, she actually took the risk of being out in high school, which no matter how liberal our city was, is still high school and kids are assholes. <laughs> so true. So true. And I really don't want her to think I'm just somehow jumping on this everyone is queer bandwagon now that it's easy. And yes, I know that's a ridiculous statement. As for my family, I'm worried they'll be somehow offended that I didn't feel comfortable telling them sooner. At the same time, part of me feels like it's also ridiculous to be even stressed out about that. Like she said, it feels like everyone is bisexual these days. So shouldn't coming out not even be important? I have so many friends who have casually dated people of different genders, and it seems so normal that I'm embarrassing. I'm embarrassed to even be giving it this much thought. Hmm. I feel uncool for even thinking about coming out as a thing now in a context where I honestly think my friends wouldn't bat an eye if I just mentioned I was dating a woman. So I feel ashamed for not being authentic about who I am, but also at the same time ashamed for making it such a big deal in my mind, where I feel like it shouldn't even be a big deal these days. Like maybe this... shouldn't even be bothering me at all. I should just not worry about telling anyone until I actually have a relationship to tell about. But at the same time, I kind of feel like I'm living inauthentically and I want to be able to share who I am. Part of me definitely feels like it would be easiest and chillest. Yes, I know that word carries so much baggage to just bring up that I am dating a woman to people in my life whenever that does happen. But dating in general has been such a challenge for me in the last few years that I also feel like it could be years before that actually happens. God, I hope not, but that definitely seems possible. And I kind of feel like I need to figure out all the shit in my mind before I unleash it on some poor, unsuspecting woman I would date. Although obviously when that does happen, I'll be transparent about where I am on this journey. And I'm worried that if I do wait until then to mention it, people that I'm close to who I still haven't told will question why I hate it for so long. Also, every time I engage in some sort of queer space or community because I'm not completely out and I haven't actually dated women, I feel like a total imposter. I know that's common and it's probably its whole other own thing for me to work through. 
Anyways, I'm just sort of wondering if either of you has any advice for a baby queer struggling with shame from all angles for no apparent reason. I know this isn't exactly a relationship question, but I thought maybe you two would have some words of wisdom. And yes, I am in the process of trying to find a therapist. Sorry, this is extremely long. Feel free to edit or paraphrase in any way. And no matter what, thank you for reading. Love, Narnia. Oh, Narnia. You baby queer, we love you. (laughs) Thank you for writing. So before we dive in, I want to chat quick with you, Sam, about how this is like been a theme, right? Yes. That you've noticed. Go ahead. I've been reading uh, our letters and as they come in and... I will say that there are a lot, a lot of people who are coming into their bisexuality and what that means for them. Um, People who have, you know, only dated one gender, the opposite gender, and are sort of like moving into this understanding Mm -hmm. of attraction to other genders, right? And like, what does that mean about me? How do I tell people? How do I engage in interacting with with people of different genders? Um, And so it's been, honestly, it's been enlightening for me as a person who like, is not was yeah right it was not bisexual and was like yeah no i'm this thing thank you very much and yeah, i am gonna had, stick with it who also had some like internalized biphobia that you said you unpacked for i mean which we all kind of grew up with you know mm-hmm. for sure and still you talk about this in your in your letter right that idea of like oh god everyone's bisexual now like mm-hmm. welcome to the club like cool um like prove it like that impulse is still oh my god i'm so <laughs> glad you admitted embedded. that i'm so i'm so glad you admitted it because i'm so deeply ashamed that i have that same judgment me somebody who fucking literally is bisexual or whatever i am like i don't really use a label right now but um i have this i have this feeling of um almost protectiveness and defensiveness like mm-hmm. you know like prove it (laughs) yeah like you said um and i feel like that is so i'm saying that aloud right now only because i i have reflected and um on that impulse again and i know it's problematic like i I want i want a world in which things are much more fluid and that and that and that queerness isn't something that you have to earn through Mm -mm. like struggle or whatever like because that's what that is too it's like oh well have you ever held the hand of somebody you know of your partner in like a i don't know an unsafe place or whatever you know like that's that's where my mind goes is that like i had to fucking come out to my whole family to date this person as how many times have you been called the f word because if it's none you don't get to be part of this club right as though (laughs) We, as though our identity is earned through struggle. And I think that's what I want to divorce is that queerness, we're moving into a time in which queerness does not have to be synonymous with struggle, right? And our our clinging to it, us, our like dinosaurness, you know, Mm -hmm. of clinging to the idea that like you have to earn it somehow they have to like be quote unquote legitimate is so fucking problematic that i just need to like call myself out on that um i'm yeah, so same. glad you confess that i i really appreciate that um well and it, like it comes it comes from an unhealed part of myself exactly right? like that's what the reality is is that like it was really hard for me to have to come out it was the the sense of shame that i felt about who i was and the the lengths that i went to to like make it not true we're really Mm. intense and so like wow yes it is hard to 
it is hard to see people come out in a way that feels easier from an outside perspective, right? Like I, I right. think what I love right, about right, this right, letter, right. Narnia, is that like we're you getting have all of these things going for you, and it's still challenging. Like yeah. even like the the ingrained heteronormativity in our society is still there. Even if people are finding it easier, if some people are finding it easier to come out these days, right? Like, and so that's what I have to remind myself is like this, like this person is also struggling with their identity, even if it looks easy to me, right? Because like, it's not no matter what struggling with your identity is always challenging. And also like the pain that like the pain and the, that I went through doesn't have to be universal to be like able to understand, like to yes. be part of this group. Right? And it, like, it's so deeply human for us to want our pain to be like rectified with other people's pain, you know, like mm-hmm. we want it again, it goes back to us wanting things to be just, you know, like, well, that's not fair that you struggled and up now, now they don't get what struggle is, you know what I mean? Or right. whatever. But that is a, I love that you said that it's an unhealed part of you. And it's also, it's an archaic part of our brain, right? Like that it's like mm-hmm. we, instead of evolving to the next, whatever, the next mindset, which is that we want to live a life where everybody can be whoever they want. And mm-hmm. that means letting go of our pain, you know, whatever. Um, we could talk about that forever, I feel like, but maybe we should shift back to the letter. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, so you've been seeing this as a theme a lot. Um, and I also just want to like, before we dive into this letter, because obviously Sam and I have a lot to say already, I just want to take a pause and take a breath and like not think about queerness for a moment and just acknowledge how much shame and anxiety is in this letter. Um, mm. Because I think, I think there's a lot going on here. And I also think there might be some underlying like anxiety, anxiety, not disorder. Like I, I don't want to use that word because it sounds a little bit too clinical, but like the first thing I thought in addition to all my like fellow bi thoughts were, was like, um, like keep trying to go to find that therapist because you can, you can retrain your brain away from these anxious thoughts, you know, ho- like hopefully, right? Um, there's just a lot of ang- there's a lot of turning that your brain is doing right now, right? There's a mm-hmm. lot of shame. There's a lot of processing, and a lot of it is, like you said, external. It's 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 from society. It's from heteronormativity. But you're you're carrying so much right now, um, and I want to encourage you to keep looking for other resources as to how to like put some of that shame anxiety down. Um, mm-hmm. And isn't it sad too, like? Isn't it sad to think that echoing what some of what Narnia said, that we're in such a progressive moment in history in so many ways, but there's still so much shame, you know, it's like one step forward, two steps back sort of thing. Um, we're, st- we're We have really created a culture in which we are um, progressive on the surface, like in our Colgate ads and our target ads and, um, in our fucking adorable Etsy ads. I don't know if you saw that really cute Etsy fucking Christmas ad. I did. Yes. Oh my God. It was so cute. (laughs) It was so, it was so charming. Right. Um, but, but at the same time, we cannot pretend that we are not, um, that we don't live in, in a heteronormative culture. 
period. Mm -hmm. Like it is, we, we just because we have a lot of queer friends or that we see queer stories finally told out, told on the media or whatever, um, doesn't mean that we are not in a predominantly heterosexual culture, you know, Mm -hmm. and that, that, that dictates the stories that we tell about ourselves and the, and the shame that we allow ourselves to carry. Um, it just made me, it made me stop and reflect and, and really feel some compassion for Narnia and for me when I was younger and for, and for a lot of people out there right now. Yeah. I think that that's, that's real. And I think, yeah, I just want to, to validate you Narnia that like you're, you are under, mining constantly sort of like this feeling like you're like i shouldn't be feeling this way but no matter what it's still hard to come out to people right it it is you know and to be clear coming out isn't a one-time thing like we come out constantly over and over again and it's still it's like hard every day right like yeah it is still like how do i say this to this person right that i work with who just asked me if i have a wife to be like uh no i have a husband and so like now i'm in the process of coming like is it worth is the juice worth the squeeze (laughs) in this moment do i do i do it or do i just like pretend like do i just not answer the question like it is still challenging in a world of assumed heterosexuality yep to come out constantly and have to do it and so it is even though you have the most wonderful parents and you have the most wonderful group of friends and you are part of queer community already like doesn't mean it's any less challenging or it doesn't mean that it's not challenging yes. right? to, to have to do it once and then to have to continue to do it over and over again. And this stress that you're feeling about what it means to come into the queer community and say, I'm bisexual and feel like you need to prove it is real. Like that is totally. a very real justified fear. Like Sierra and I just talked about it. Yeah, there we just is- admitted it. Right. There is an impulse We're in queer communities. <laughs> yeah, right. To to like there is a knee-jerk reaction a lot to say like prove it or to say like I don't believe you, you have it too easy. Like I had to I had to do all of these things in order to get my queer badge. You think you deserve it just because you're like are bisexual? Like that's a real fear. So you are not it is not you're not overreacting, right? Like you are not you're not being ridiculous as you say in your letter like 18 times like i feel ridiculous that i'm doing this like these are legitimate and yep. justifiable fears about about what coming out means like yeah. it's a hard process and it it's it may have gotten easier for some folks over the past 20 years or whatever mm-hmm. but it is still hard right and it's it's okay to feel nervous about it and it's okay for you to not know how or when to do it or to not do it because yes it's because, scary because it's, you're not ready too. And exactly. I was thinking recently too. I remember re- uh, a couple episodes back, you Sam were addressing um, a situation in which a man like was so he so wanted to disrupt um, and dismantle the patriarchy that he became like very self loathing to himself as a man, right? Mm-hmm. And you said something really profound that was like. That doesn't serve anyone, doesn't serve the communities that you are trying to be an ally for. And it doesn't serve you, you know, doesn't serve um, the good of men, you know. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think we can kind of use that same ideology to apply here, like 
to start freeing yourself from some of this shame that is so real, like Sam says. Um, but, you know, the comparison that you're doing, the comparison of, you know, well, you have a really supportive life and a supportive social circle and you grew up in, you know, with these certain privileges and so many other people did it and they did have to they did have to have that struggle. Right. You know, that comparison that you're doing isn't serving them and it's not serving you anymore. There's mm-hmm. there is no there's no fruitfulness. There's no like fertile soil in that type of comparison when we're comparing our own lived experiences. Yes, it is always good to like check our privilege. It's always good to look from the context from which we are speaking or acting, but the comparison doesn't serve anybody. It doesn't serve the community that you want to advocate for, and it doesn't serve you and your healing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, <laughs> fucking like we've already been talking for like 20 minutes on this letter i have so much to say so i'm just gonna keep <laughs> railing on this um uh-huh. so like your queer journey is only yours and mm-hmm. i can say this to you a thousand times but i'm not quite sure you'll get it until you're ready to get it until your heart is ready until whatever and mm-hmm. um i hate that my story of self-acceptance when it comes to my identity is and was really influenced by a partner. Like I, I wish that I like came to it on my own, like my own little mm-hmm. authentic journey. But the truth is I came to so much peace um, almost immediately when I, when I started dating my wife. Um, mm-hmm. And um, that's just my story. Like I wish I, it was a more authentic path or, you know, like I wish it was like a more like personal journey, but it, she really, um, a gave me an environment in which I could heal a lot of um, unhealed whatever in me. So in the right. past, um, I felt so ashamed. I felt this shame that you felt. Like I felt this, not just shame, but like immediacy and this need to be determined, you know, like, and this this need to, this pressure to prove myself. Um, I felt constantly inadequate. Um, I felt constantly uh illegitimate like I was an illegitimate straight person and I was an illegitimate gay person um I'm too gay to be straight too straight to be gay all of these things (laughs) and um I felt shame for so long um and I kept asking that question like what am I what am I need a word I need a name I need to be I need to have a name that I can point to so people understand me. And for a long time, I fucking hated the word bisexual because if you Mm -hmm. point to the word bisexual, people do the reaction that Sam and I do, (laughs) you know, or like people would say that you're selfish or you're greedy or you don't exist or you're just hiding or you're just faking it or you're just doing attention, right? So I fought that label for a long time and I fought whatever that meant about me. You know, I really resisted the idea that I could be bisexual and that was just it, you know, like that was real. That was a real experience. Um, And also added, I want to add to my story a little bit, which I know a lot of people relate to from one end of the story or the other. Fucking so many of my ex-girlfriends literally hated bisexual women because of hurt that they had caused them, you know, because the, mm. because of the women who left them for men. Right. And I know that that is a real legitimate trauma for so many queer women, but it also made it impossible to feel like I was ever enough for those women. You know, like mm. I, I always felt like I was, I felt like I had to be gay for them, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, so I, I struggled with this and I struggled and I'm talking like, you know, 
I reconnected with Willow when I was 32. You know, this is my whole sexual life. Um, <laughs> this whole time in which I am literally sleeping with with people of all different genders and I had the audacity to question myself, you know, like my, my whole sexual life I've slept with, you know, I, I have always been queer and yet the internalized shame that you're dealing with Narnia told me your ex- lived experience, Sierra is not real. <laughs> like that's mm-hmm. the type of mind fuck that we're talking about here, you know, for, for, for t- 14 years of my sexual life sleeping with all people of all different genders i constantly had that reality but told myself that that reality wasn't enough and it wasn't real so anyway and i'm going to get back to that about actually sleeping with people versus not because we get so many letters about like i've never actually been with a woman does that make me queer Mm -hmm. save that thought okay so i finally you know i'm 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 doing this act of delegitimizing myself carrying all this shame and I, I, I started a relationship with Willow, my now wife, and Willow is just one of those people who, who anything goes. She, she wants everyone to live their truest, most authentic life. She's one of the most accepting people I know. And she just doesn't have whatever Sam and I, whatever chip on the shoulder that Sam and I have <laughs> that makes us turn our nose up at like, you know, that makes us feel like you have to prove your your gayness, your queerness. Like Willow just doesn't have that. She never has. And she's really humbled me a couple of times in which I've been like judgy or, or, or gatekeeping of the queer community. She's like, well, I just want them to be happy. Like good for them. She really believes that at any time you can meet someone at any time of your life, you can meet someone and they can change everything you understand about yourself and your desire. Meaning you can be straight your whole life. And at 70 years old, you can meet someone who is non-binary or who is a, of the same gender or of a different gender or whatever. And all of a sudden, everything you thought you knew about your identity isn't true, you know? Mm-hmm. And I really subscribe to that thinking too. So once I met and and partnered with a person who no longer needed me to be one or the other, who no longer asked the question, you know, needed the answer to that question, all of my shame was unnecessary. It became literally like, she doesn't need me to be straight or gay. And all of a sudden the question I had been plagued with, what am I, what am I, what am I became irrelevant because the question, what am I just became, I am, I am, I am this, I am whatever Mm -hmm. I need to be. And Mm -hmm. this 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 searching that I had done my whole life, all of a sudden, I became enough. I was the answer. You know, whatever I am was the answer. Nobody else could tell me it. Um, and I want to hopefully extend some of that surety to you. Now, I know our, our experience is different because I have been with women. I'm, I'm married to one. Side note, I'm married to a woman. I'm not gay. That's I, I feel like that's so important to say. I'm not gay. I'm not. I don't feel <laughs> gay. Right. right. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, your journey is your own and whatever you are, you are, you like, it's not when I'm, I, it's, I am, I am, I am in this moment, whatever I am, I am. And sorry, this is a little bit of a rant, but this is the other thing I want to say. Um, I want to start flipping and this, this is calling you and I out too, Sam. I want to start flipping the understanding of sexuality and sexual identity, that sexual identity and the idea of what we think of identity, I think are different because like, for example, an ice skater, like 
you could say like, oh, that's part of who I am as a person. I'm an ice skater. I ice skate, right? But to be an ice skater necessitates doing that thing, right? Mm-hmm. But sexuality isn't like that. Sexuality, mm-hmm. your desires, your sexual identity, I'm sure there's even a better word for it. Um, but your sexual identity isn't determined by what you do or have done with other people. Mm-hmm. And and that is a contradiction in our brains because like if you were like, I love to crochet, I'm a crocheter. <laughs> and I'd be like, show me the proof, you know, like <laughs> show me the things you have crocheted, right? But, and I think that's where our brains start doing that judgmental thing. Oh, you're queer, show me the proof. Mm-hmm. But humanness and d- human desire and sexuality don't work like that. Or at least I don't want them to work like that. I don't want to live in a world in which they work like that because that line of thinking leads us to this level of shame, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, yeah, and I think to like to call out my fellow queers too um, is to say like, we can hold people accountable to how they show up in queer spaces and sort of how they, what space they take up in queer spaces and how they show up for queer people, but we can't judge people for what, for who they love and and how they love them. (laughs) Right. Like, like I just think like, yes, we can have a conversation about whether or not white gay men show up for queer people in the same way that black trans women do. Right. And the answer, like, yes, but it's important for us to not question their validity as like, as people yes. and the same thing can be said of like people who identify as bisexual too right like the impulse i think is to say like oh well it's easy for you to pass and therefore you don't have to mm. show up in the same way but that doesn't mean that they're not showing up in that way right like and i think it, well I it's, think it's, it, it goes back to the what we're talking about resolutions it's yes and all of these things mm-hmm. are so complicated and to paint these really black and white lines these rules it just does not align with our humanity for sure and i think yeah and so i think it's more important to sort of show to to interrogate how individuals who are part of the queer community show up in and for queer spaces and communities right right? than it is to try and like police who can be part of that community right it shouldn't be about like prove to me how many women you've slept with it should be prove to me how active you are like how you are uplifting other queer people like how you are you are engaging with us as a community right rather because like Gay white men get a pass because they're gay. But let me tell you, we are not an especially helpful group of people when it comes to queer liberation. <laughs> That's hysterical. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like, and so, like, hold me more accountable than to the bisexual woman who is showing up and and doing the work and fostering queer spaces and uplifting queer other mm. like other queer folks. Right. Like. I think that that's the conversation we should be having and not so much like policing people's sexuality because that's not the business I want to be in. My sexuality has been policed enough. Mm -hmm. I don't want to do that to other people, but I will interrogate people's commitment to the cause, to liberation, to showing up in community in a way that's authentic and also like liberating. Right. (laughs) And that's. That's what I want to hold people accountable to. So I'm talking to all you gay white men who went to Puerto Vallarta this weekend during the height of COVID. Like you are not showing up for our queer black and brown people who are catching this disease at at higher rates than we are. Like 
fuck you. Say it again. And so, <laughs> mm-hmm. and so that is the more important conversation that I need we have rather than trying to police what people desire and how they're, they are desiring those people. Right. right. You're so right. But okay. So let's get back to Narnia and yes. say this, that, um, you are allowed to come out in your own time. Perfect. Right. Just because it is, just because it feels like it should be easy doesn't mean that it's not easy, right? And I don't want you to feel like you have to wait to be in a relationship with a woman to justify yourself coming out, mm-hmm. right? Like you are bisexual whether or not you have ever touched any part of a woman besides your own body, right? Like yep. you are you are absolutely bisexual. You don't need to justify that and people don't have the right to interrogate you about that you are bisexual and so if you want to come out now you absolutely can if you want to wait until you're in a relationship with a partner you can but you don't have to you don't have to have that point of proof in order to be an authentic bisexual and the way that people react and respond to you coming out has nothing to do with you or who you are boom right and that's that's something that i would say to Like the queerest of queer kids that's 11 years old and is like wondering how they're going to tell their parents, right? Like their response to you has nothing to do with who you are. It doesn't diminish who you are. It doesn't mean that you're not who you say you are. And, And I just, what I appreciate about this letter is that like you are right. Everything in front of you says that this should be an easy process, but it's not. It never is in this world of assumed heterosexuality in this world of assumed cisgenderness right like it is still challenging it is challenging for you this person who's grown up and like knows who you are and has all of these resources available so it's challenging it just is being queer is difficult and it's also wonderful and lovely and it's it is difficult no matter who you are and where you come from because of the societies that we live in right and so grant yourself some grace to figure out how to do this in a way that's going to be right for you. Don't force yourself into something that's that feels uncomfortable. Don't question who you are because of how people respond to you. You got this. You are who you say you are. You will go th- through this. You will get through it. And you will be able to live as authentically as you want to live in the way that feels right for you at any given moment. Yep. Come out to your friend. Come out to that best friend. And- <laughs> that's right. Sorry, I I just think that's important. That's a great first step. Um, And Mm -hmm. you can even say everything you said to us, like say like, listen, I'm self-conscious to tell you this because I know the feeling of like everybody's bisexual. And I also like really love the part of you that was able to come out in high school. I really appreciate it and respect it and admire it. Um, But there's something I want you to know about me because I want you to know who I am. Um, Like you, you can have a conversation that, encapsulates all of these things yes and right but this is your friend they can be an advocate to you an ally and um and you don't need to wait until you've like earned it to tell your friend i i just mm-hmm. think that's really important um and one more thing that is is literally for you or anyone else who wants to hear it uh, um something that fucking tripped me up forever when i was questioning my sexuality in my 20s was how every it feels different dating women feels different at least to me, you're not, <laughs> you're not doing it wrong. It doesn't mean that's because I was like, well, this doesn't feel the same. Maybe I'm not queer. Yeah. Like maybe I don't want to sleep with them or maybe, you know, maybe I don't, I can't see a relationship with them because it feels different. 
to me and my lived experience, this might not be universal, but this also, I feel like it could free a lot of people. Dating women felt different to me than it did dating men. And you're mm-hmm. not doing it wrong. The end. Love 2020. That. I love that. <laughs> yeah. Best uh, advice. <laughs> Um, okay, my darling Narnia, thank you so much for this very thoughtful and vulnerable question. Obviously, Sam and I are obsessed with you, and <laughs> we hope this helps. We do. Thank you so much for writing. We love you. Our last letter is from Drunk Love, who is writing to us from Maine. Sierra and Sam. Funny story, when I first <laughs> I love this. When I first went through my breakup a little over 2 months ago and found your podcast, I was so angry and distraught I couldn't listen to it. <laughs> I was like, there's no way they can help me. Fast forward to now and I'm a Patreon subscriber and I'm binging all your past shows during my early morning jogs and lonely moments in the car. You've been a guiding light in such a dark time for me. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. <laughs> that oh, that's sense. so sweet. I know, it really touches me. Um So my story, I'm a cisgendered, straight, 46-year-old divorced female raising two beautiful and feminist daughters, 11 and 13 years old. Two years after my very hurtful divorce, I met my ex, which was about five years ago. He was also a 40-something divorcee raising two daughters, just a tad older than mine. I was very careful about men, but we met organically through work and he checked all of the boxes for the real deal. It was like a Nicholas Sparks romance novel and I got swept away in a big way. I have never felt a passion for anyone like this before, and I felt like this was my karma after a horrible marriage. We dated for two years, got engaged, and I moved my daughters and I into his big, beautiful mansion sites home, and we started our lives together. As you guessed, the novel became more like a Stephen King story. (laughs) (laughs) That's not funny, but I just like how it went from Nicholas Sparks to Stephen King. It's such a good (laughs) analogy or, or movement. His entire behavior changed, especially around alcohol. I already knew his backstory. He was raised by a vicious alcoholic mother, and he had agreed that other members of his family were functional alcoholics. And when he was al- when he allowed himself to be vulnerable, he told me he didn't want to be anything like these relatives. He went to counseling. He always watched his alcohol intake, but he really didn't want to give up drinking because it helped him relax. Were there red flags before moving in? Yes, but not big enough ones for me to worry. I can imagine you both cringing at that sentence. Don't worry, I'm cringy too. I'm not cringy, and I think that's just like Mm-mm. life. <laughs> life and yeah, love. Oh, no, that's real. When I moved in, he literally became a drill sergeant before my very eyes. His controlling demeanor took all the fun out of blending our families because I would get criticized all the time, even in front of his daughters. If I bought the wrong brand of paper towels or didn't clean the kitchen in a timely manner, he couldn't relax. He couldn't just be with us. It got so bad that I almost wish that he have a couple drinks because I knew there was a sweet spot of about two beers where he could relax with us and laugh. I knew he was just feeling the pressures that a blended family can bring, especially because his daughters were not respectful to me about the transition. My life changed suddenly too. My daughters and I left the only community we knew in the state and my girls changed schools. I added 30 minutes onto my work commute and I became a full-time step parent to his daughters because their mom suddenly went into drug rehab for a year. Then a year into the move after one of his drunk, ugly rages, luckily my daughters were never home for one of these. I found myself locked in the bathroom, sitting to, on the side of the tub, crying. I couldn't understand why how my fairy tale turned into a nightmare. I wondered how someone like myself, a strong, independent woman, could end up making such a bad decision. The wedding was only six weeks away, and I had friends and family flying in from all over the country. But I did it. 
The next day, I canceled the wedding. My daughters and I moved in with my best friend and husband, and miraculously, I was able to buy a house down the street from them. I definitely had some angels watching over me. It was the longest and hardest summer of my life, but I have never regretted this this decision. Oh, I just got chills. I know, me too. <laughs> I wish the story ended there, but it doesn't. My ex-fiance and I bumped into each other the following summer after about nine months of no contact, and he texted me and asked if we could meet for coffee. He told me that he just that he started medication for anxiety, started counseling again, and was facing the biggest regret of his life, losing me. He wanted to apologize to me and my daughters, and he did over and over again. He was willing to do anything to get us back to dating again. I finally gave in. Dates finally turned into overnights in my new home home when my daughters were with their dad. After about six months of our weekly romantic weekends together, I fell in love all over again. Our sex life was amazing and he was willing to do anything for to me to prove that he had changed. I was also 100% myself. I set up boundaries and made it clear how triggering it was for me to see him drunk. We agreed not to blend families and each raise our children how we wanted and see where our life could take us once they were out of high school in about five to seven years. We had some beautiful quarantined weekends. However, the red flag started again. He would uninvite me to family gatherings, even though they asked me to come, etc. I started feeling like something wasn't quite right. And then he showed up at 3 p.m. on a Saturday, completely wasted. He drove like this from his house, which is about 30 minutes away. He was irritated that I wouldn't get into the car with him for our date, and he stomped back into his car and drove away. That was the last time I saw him. I broke up with him by phone the next day with an ultimatum. I was done with him and not admitting he was an alcoholic. He needed to join AA and get a sponsor. After he was sober for nine months, he could give me a call. I found out about three weeks later by an accidental emailed receipt from our favorite romantic hotel that we would go to often, uh, my email is linked to his account, that he was taking a new girl to our special hotel for a romantic night. I found out by social media that he has a new relationship, and what's worse, he looks happy. I don't think I've ever been so hurt and disappointed with a person in my entire life. I have cried over this man more times in the last few months than I can count. Imagining him with this other woman just makes me feel stupid and heartbroken. I feel so thrown away and replaceable. I would never want this relationship for my daughter, so why am I so hurt that he's gone? Why did I ignore these red flags in the first place? Why did I give him a second chance? And should I have stayed and helped him get sober if this was the man I wanted to be with forever? I feel like stupidly probably that if he stopped drinking, he would be such an amazing catch. If you could scold me and get me out of the pickle, (laughs) I would be forever grateful. And by the way, I've already blocked both of them on Facebook, so I hopefully never ever have to see their smiling faces again thank you for all that you do to shed some light on those of us in a dark tunnel signed drunk love wow uh drunk love thank you so much for writing and for trusting us with this very painful and um dare i say eloquent story um Mm -hmm. of your life i i'm so touched by all of you i've i've really like i think the two weeks off really moved made me think about the vulnerability of our listeners and Mm. the letters that they write in and like what a powerful act that is just in that. Um, And maybe that's the first direction that I want to take this in. Um, Drunk love. Oh my God. Like you are so brave. You're so brave Mm. and you're so powerful and you are doing the best that you can. And that best is is working. It might not feel like that, 
But look back, like you canceled your wedding. You did something that was so against the grain of what a lot of people wanted or or whatever. Like you listened to your gut. You had that small voice inside you, that, that authentic whisper telling you what you needed to do and you followed it. And I cannot tell you how brave that is. Like Sam and I mm-hmm. both got full body chills just listening to that. And then furthermore, and, and this is the point I really want to hammer home. Like you fell back in love because that's where your heart led you because that's what he, because that was the organic right thing for you to do because he was making all of these strides. Like you didn't make a mistake. You didn't get duped. You're not stupid. Mm-hmm. You didn't do anything wrong. Like you followed your heart and you fucking had the, the bravery and the authenticity and the strength to say, I'm done. You need to admit this for yourself and mm-hmm. you need to, you need to write this ship and then you can have access to me again. You did so many things right here. And I just want to stress the, the, you, your boundaries are right. Your canceling the wedding was right. But like falling back in love, that was right too. I, I yep. feel like sometimes we can conflate things that end up f- fail, you know, like relationships that end up failing or, or it's choices that end up hurting us. We confuse them with wrong choices but they weren't wrong. Like you like, look back, like, could you, could it have gone any other way? You were following Mm. your heart. That was the right thing to do. Um, and you did the right thing getting out again. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the reality is also that like, even though you did all the right things, that doesn't mean that it doesn't hurt, Right. right? Like doing the right things doesn't, doesn't, you know, insulate us from pain. It's, it's impossible in this life to avoid pain, there it is just there people will always disappoint us our hearts will always be broken um and it doesn't mean that we're doing anything wrong right and and like sierra said like yeah you did you did some amazing acts of self-love in this Mm, both by ending that relationship with him when you knew that it was it was not gonna work and it was it was harmful to you and to your your family you Celebrated self-love when you let this man who had gone through a lot of changes back into your life and and was willing to extend him the grace to say, I know that people make mistakes and I still love you and want you and I believe what you're saying to me. You believed in his humanity. Absolutely. And then to also say, again, a radical act of self-love to say, I know that you think that you've changed and I can see that you haven't. Mm. And I love you so much that I'm going to separate myself from you so that you can see how, how much pain you have caused me in this moment. Right. Mm. Like that's what you did. Like, I know it feels like you, you turned your back on him and like, can't believe that this happened, but like you told him what he needed to hear rather and whether or not he is capable of hearing it is a different story. Right. But like the fact that you put distance between you was an act of self-love and it was also loving him because y- you could not have loved him enough to make him not a, a danger to himself and Boom. to people around him. That's it. Like, and I appreciate that you, you, I appreciate that you saw that and that you acted on that. Like that is, I, I think that that is a really admirable thing that you well, did. Well, and I think you said it so perfectly is that like all of this doesn't mean it, it doesn't hurt like this situation that you're in is so deeply painful and Sam and I can do all but nothing and, uh, but sit with you, you know, like really just sit with Mm -hmm. you and say, wow, um, this type of heartbreak, this, this type of 
life experience or lesson even or whatever the however you and your spirituality or or whatever want to categorize the this life experience you know mm-hmm. it's just painful this is this is so painful um a little bit of a lighter note or like on on the surface of this all i just want to remind you that like social media lies <laughs> social media <laughs> right. lies and i think that some of the unpacking that you can do can start with just the, the simple question like how do I know they're happy? What assumptions right. am I making right now about the life that he has or the life that she's going to get with him? You know, because it's very natural that we have that twinge when someone that we don't want to be with ourselves ends up with someone else. You know, like that twinge is very natural, but we can just recognize that twinge for what it is and let it move on, you know, say mm-hmm. that I'm sad because I feel because this is, you know what, you know what those pictures are on social media. You know what his relationship is. It's just salt in the wound. And mm-hmm. I know that it makes the wound feel worse, but it's not a knife. It's, it can't touch you like that. Right. It can just mm-hmm. sting and you can, you can let those pat those thoughts pass you by because the truth is not only do we not know anything about their relationship, you know, this is all based on assumptions, but their relationship has nothing to do with your happiness and nothing. And it also has nothing to do with your past relationship. Like this is not a comparison. This is not a step up. This is not, she's not reaping the benefits of the man that you couldn't love well enough to fix or whatever. Um, Mm. All of that is those types of narratives are, are lies that we tell ourselves to feed our pain, you know? That's right. Um, Yeah. And he could very easily still be getting blackout drunk and screaming at her. But you right. don't see that on Facebook, right? You see them on vacation and at the hotel and smiling because who puts that kind of stuff on Facebook? That's not right. what social media is designed for. Right. So it's. I think it's just important to remind yourself of like you're only in those moments, but I'm glad that you blocked him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> but like in those moments, you are only seeing one facet of what is happening. Yes. Yeah, social media for sure lies. Also, I can't remember where I learned this, but I remember reading somewhere um that addicts um, and alcoholics, when they're in, when they are in their substances, when they are uh, in the in their addiction, they move on quickly. Uh, mm-hmm. Oftentimes, because they need someone to take care of them, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know the ins and outs of this relationship, and I don't know. I honestly, I don't remember where I read that, or if it's real, <laughs> or if it's like statistically right. proven, you know. But think about that, like. Yeah, he moved on quickly because like he needs to he needs to reinforce the world in which his behavior is okay. You know, like he needs people to reinforce that that he needs to stay in his addiction, right? And mm-hmm. and what is a better way to do that than with a new fling where it is fun to like run off for a romantic getaway and have a bottle of champagne or seven, you know, like right. that like honestly, I drink the most at the beginning of relationships because it's like dates and you know sexy little whatever um and but think about it that way like that this is well what i want to take what i want you to take away from this more than anything is that this relationship cannot touch you it has nothing to do with you it's not a reflection of you you know like don't think about this (laughs) but Mm -hmm. if you are going to think about it remember that like this for not only do we not know anything about it, but this relationship is a move on his part to keep on the life that he's living, you know, to keep on the path 
that you didn't want to be on. So just because another woman got on this path doesn't mean that that path all of a sudden looks shinier and better for you. Granted, we, you know, Sam and I know there's a ton of pain. There's a ton of pain wrapped up in this situation for so many reasons. Mm-hmm. You know, the least of which is just seeing him move on with someone else. Yep. No, absolutely. And I think, um, I think, you know, you ask yourself like, oh, should I have stayed with him to, to help get him or to help him get sober? But you cannot make someone get sober. Right. Staying with someone isn't going to make them get sober. That is a, a decision that they have to make on their own. And it's clear that that's a decision that he wasn't wanting to make. Right. And so there was there was nothing different that you could have done to make him understand the depth of his problem. And yes. you couldn't have stayed with him for another mo- nine months and gotten him sober. That's just impossible because you can't control him. You can't control what he does. And you can't control whether or not he decides to make that decision for himself. And the other thing that you ask in this, too, is is you say, I feel like he if it weren't for his drinking, he would have been a perfect catch. But but I want you to recognize right. that, that that is not the reality. Right. Like that's like me saying, oh, if only they weren't a serial killer, they would have been really <laughs> awesome. Like, not that drinking and serial killing are at all the same, yeah. but I want you to recognize how how absurd that statement is, right? Like, right. oh, if only they weren't a cat, I would they would make such a perfect catch, which is something I say about my cat all the time, but that's neither here nor here there. So, because there's nothing else that he could be there. And, like, the fact that he is this and the fact that he is exercising his addiction so poorly on you is part of who he is as part of who your relationship is you can't just you can't just take that one part out of it and make everything perfect because that one part is who he is it is who your relationship is it is the def- it is not the defining but is one of the defining characteristics right. of that relationship i know that it's really supernatural to think that right like i think oh absolutely and heartbreak we're always just like oh if only for the fact that he didn't live in Beijing, this could have been the perfect relationship. But I think it's also important to remind ourselves that that's not even a reality that we right. can entertain right. because that person lives in Beijing. Right. <laughs> like, that person is struggling with addiction. And yes, they would have been catch in there are a catch in other ways, but you can't you can't take those two things apart from each other. Yeah. I've been listening a lot to a podcast about like unhealthy relationships and people who uh, like are have like narcissistic personality disorders and gaslight. And I'm going to shout it out next week for my blind date. So I'm going to like leave you guys hanging for what it is. <laughs> but it's it's been made me making me think a lot about like relationships in my past and how much guilt um I held for getting myself into unhealthy relationships and like keeping myself Mm -hmm. there. And I feel that guilt kind of resonating um, or that self-questioning or or whatever resonating from you, drunk love. Um, And one of the big reflections that I've got from listening to this podcast and just thinking on my life is that like unhealthy, toxic partners make their partners feel broken for being lured into their chaos like Mm -hmm. i felt so fucked up for getting into another an abusive relationship um and i thought like well what is so fucked up about me that i got into this relationship but that's not giving the sociopathic narcissistic gaslighter enough credit (laughs) do you know what i mean (laughs) like Uh. like 
I legitimately drunk love, like you might feel like you like you fucked up, you made the wrong choices, like you didn't fuck up. Your life path met this guy, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, life is too complicated to feel to point, you know, to be like, oh well, you know, this is all your ex's fault because he was fucked up. Like I don't actually believe that. But don't gaslight yourself into thinking that this was your fault, right? Like you met someone who you fell in love with organically for a thousand reasons who had his own trauma. And for whatever reason that you two together resulted in this way. But I, I think, I think it's, I just don't want you to blame yourself for getting yourself into this situation. Mm hmm. This is literally what what toxic, unhealed people do to other people, you know? Yeah. And I, I don't think the world is so black and white in that way, but it is it has, listening to this podcast, which I will shout out next week, has sort of freed me of like a lot of blame that I was putting on myself. That like sometimes Absolutely. people are just fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's real. And they fuck up your life. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, exactly. And what I want you to focus on drunk love is is the fact that you got yourself out of this situation right like the fact that you established and upheld boundaries with this person the fact that you canceled this wedding six weeks out right right like, like it's not your fault that you got into a relationship with someone who lied to you about right. who they were and right. then when they showed it you said i don't like this boom right <laughs> <laughs> right like that's a That's a good thing. That is you sort of exercising and understanding what you want out of a relationship and being able to get yourself out of situations that aren't working for you anymore. Right. And I, I know that you feel some, some like guilt over teaching your daughters like to that this type of relationship is okay, but I want to push back and say, exactly. right. You can't, you cannot teach your daughters how to never be in an abusive relationship. That is impossible. Wow. That is, we cannot prevent that. Right. I mean, People will walk through this life and never be in an abusive relationship in their life for sure. But, but it's not, it is not something that we can sort of like teach ourselves not to fall into chills and tears. That (laughs) is so wow. Keep going. The only thing that we can teach ourselves and our loved ones is how to recognize it and establish boundaries and get themselves out of it. Wow. Wow. Okay. I'm having like a mind (laughs) orgasm right now. Because I also, I literally cannot process this in real time. Just thinking about like how much self-loathing I put on myself for getting into abusive relationships when under, when actually the narrative should be this happens because we are messy, imperfect, hurtful human beings. Like we just get into these situations that, mm-hmm. What you're saying is the narrative should be flipped to how can we stand up for ourselves more? How can we how can we move through these things with more grace for ourselves? Wow. 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 Mm -hmm. Sorry. And to echo what you just said, drunk love, you are teaching your daughters how to stand up for yourselves. Right. Mm -hmm. You're not teaching them how to not experience life. Right. That which is what you're (laughs) asking of yourself. Right. Wow. Oh, my God, Sam. One of my favorite things you've ever said on this podcast. Well, thank you. You're welcome. I don't want to impose toxic positivity on you in this way because I know that you're hurting and that hurt is real and that hurt is absolutely valid. And you should be you should be feeling heartbroken like you your heart was broken twice by this man. And that's that is really hard. 
And also, I want to offer you some things that might help you move through that heartbreak, which is to say that, like, I think that you did everything right. I think that you extricated yourself twice from a situation that felt really good and then you realized wasn't good. And that's that's what humans do. That is what life and dating is. And like, I don't know, you you modeled for your daughters what it means to stand up for yourself in the face of the expectations of your partner and the expectations of people in who are around you and your partnership. Right. Like canceling Mm -hmm. a wedding six weeks before is a big move Mm -hmm. and you did it, which is just remarkable. So I hope that brings you some comfort and doesn't make you feel like we are lessening your pain. Well, that's literally why I wanted to choose this letter is because I want to, to highlight drunk love's extreme bravery like that 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 this needs to be you're right sam that we like feel what you need to feel drunk love feel that pain that pain is so real but also we just want to big you up like show you what we see from this situation which is really goddamn beautiful absolutely all right drunk love um we obviously love you (laughs) (laughs) we do thanks so much for writing All right, this brings us to the blind date segment of our episode. Every show, we want to shout you out something we love to... What is the... What is it? (laughs) That's fine. That's enough. (laughs) We want to set you up... This week, we want to set you up with... (laughs) Uh, A song called Blooming Again by Lydia Liza and Big Cats. Yes, Big Cats, which is... Who is Spencer, by the way? (laughs) Yes, who who is our producer, who you sometimes hear pop in when we make royal fools of ourselves. (laughs) Um, yeah, it's this great song that they released. Um, it's on Spotify and iTunes. It is sort of a, it's a great song. It's, it's literally he- about head and heart work. It is like, a 2021 <laughs> anthem. Yes, it's so beautiful. It's so good. And it's like a great follow up to their album that they released. Was that last year when they released it or late 2019? Mm, late 2019, I think. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, which you should also check out on, on iTunes and Spotify and or wherever you get your music. Um, it's just an awesome song. Um, Lydia and Big Cats are just like awesome, Wildly amazing musicians. Talented. Seriously, every song that they put out on that album and this new song, Blooming Again, is like a bop. Like, it's just amazing. It's amazing to me that we know this man like personally. Bitch, I have to talk like, about how so cool talented. Big Cats is. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. But it's, it's, it's awesome. We will link to it in the show our notes. Spotify mm-hmm. in the show notes. Um, oh, so you can check that out. There's also like a really beautiful like uh, lyric video um, on all of their social media, um, which you can find. Lydia's social media handle is <laughs> something rat daddy something something it's like underscore rat underscore daddy maybe like a thousand <laughs> underscores so just search lydia liza or you can you can find spencer on the what if pod um in, instagram you can check out that video it's really beautiful head and heart awesome. work song blooming again that's right blooming again by lydia liza and big cats all right, everyone. Thank you for listening to this like four hour episode, four hour long episode. You can like us on Facebook and you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Just Break Up Pod. You can slide into our DMs, send us your favorite relationship memes, but most importantly, you can submit all your questions about all matters of the heart at JustBreakUpPod.com, which is the only place we will answer questions. I see your questions in the DMs, y'all, but we 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 only answer them from the website. So go to JustBreakUpPod.com, which is also where you can find our merchandise. 
That's right. Please remember to click follow so that you can get our episodes every Monday exclusively on Spotify. And please consider supporting us on Patreon. If you support us on Patreon for as little as $5 a month, you will get an additional bonus weekly episode, as well as access to all of the back episodes, which are like, mm-hmm. I don't know, almost, like almost 100, 100 at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Patreon.com slash Just Breakup Pod. This literally keeps the mics on and helps us reach more brokenhearted souls who need two random strangers giving them relationship advice. Original music, recording, editing, producing all magical things by our ever cool, ever talented, amazing producer, Big Cats, a.k.a. Spencer. Make sure to check out his new song, Blooming Again, with Lydia Liza and his podcast, The What If Pod. And remember, in this new year... Practice approaching yourself with patience and understanding. Exchange your shame and anger for self-love and self-compassion. Release those negative, damaging patterns of thought and behavior because they no longer serve you anymore. This year, perfection isn't the goal. Self-hatred doesn't work anymore. And if all else fails, just break up. Place the blame on yourself Took it harder than hell The mistakes that you make were not infinite And your father ahead Then the man in your bed And the clothes on the chapter is imminent Thank you.